Well, how we doing? Last week was coat weather. This week is boat weather. So uh, we turned the AC on for those who are feeling a little hot this morning. Hey, uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a guy this morning named Joseph. You guys know about Joseph? Uh, Genesis chapter thirty-seven. Today our message is pride comes before the fall. Um, a couple of things you need to know about Joseph. Let me give you some background information. That there are 14 chapters in the scriptures that are devoted to the life of Joseph. That's pretty incredible because the only other person that that amount of uh, chapters is devoted to is a guy by the name of Abraham, which we've, we've been talking about. Uh, you need to understand that Joseph is a picture of of Jesus. This is a foreshadowing. You know, it's everything that we've talked about so far through the life of Abraham. It's all been foreshadowing towards the gospel. One of the things you're going to learn through the Old Testament is when you're reading and studying the Old Testament, the Old Testament is always pointing towards what's to come. So you're going to find Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. And there's a lot of foreshadowing and prophecies that are being made. Um, so Joseph is this picture of Jesus, a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus, which is interesting because Jesus actually never mentions Joseph in any of, his, any of the Gospels that we read when he, when he speaks. Um, up until this point, and you, if you're, how many of you have been participating in the Bible readings? All right, if you're behind, no big deal. You can just pick right on up. We, we have those posted. It's on the back of your, your handout this morning. But as you go through your reading this week, what you're going to find is there was a guy named Jacob whose name meant deceiver. Um, he stole a birthright from his brother Esau, and Jacob and his wife, Rachel, were trying to have kids. Uh, she was barren. She couldn't have any kids. Eventually, they have two sons. Those sons are named Jacob, that's the firstborn, and Benjamin. Now, when Benjamin is born, his mother, Rachel, dies during childbirth. Joseph's name means son of my old age, because Joseph, uh, Jacob was old when he had a son. Now, what I want you to see over these next few moments with that little bit of background is that God's sovereign hand was all over the life of Joseph from beginning to end. And we're going to see that God knows best when it comes to our life. So many of you would agree with that. Like, he knows better than we do. Now, there's times that we want to get in these conversations with him. There are times where we may disagree with that, that we may think that we know better for ourselves than God does. But at the end of the day... God knows what's best. If you'll look in Genesis chapter 37 with me, we're going to start in verse 1. But it says that Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And these are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended the sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Belhah and Zelpah, his father's wives. And he brought a bad report. Say bad report. He bought a bad report about them to his father. The first thing that we see in this text is what we're going to call Jacob's delight. His delight. Jacob, his delight is his son, Joseph. Now, Jacob had many sons, but his favorite son was Joseph. And I've always looked at Joseph as a saint. He's a good guy, right? But when you go back and look at this passage... That word, bad report, in the Hebrew, in the original language, um, it translates as something misleading or maybe something that's not exactly 
true. So what are we trying to say here? That Joseph slanders his brothers when he goes back to his father, telling them not so much half-truths to try to get them in trouble. Uh, this would be the first time in the scripture that we see a tattletale, all right? Anybody have those in your home, right? He's a little bit of a tattletale. <laughs> Some of you agree 100%, huh? There is no doubt that what Joseph had to say about his brothers made him look bad. He, he was out to make them look bad because he needed to look like the favorite son. And so he would make up things, say things to try to get them in trouble. We can all emphasize with that. How many of you were the favorite child? All right. This is why today's message is called Pride Comes Before the Fall. But Joseph, so Joseph tells on his brothers, I want you to watch how his life unfolds. In verse 3, it says, now Israel, now Israel is another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than his other sons. Because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a long-sleeved robe for him. Now, Jacob gives him this robe. And the robe can be transcribed in three different ways. This can be a robe that has many colors, like we, you know, the coat of many colors. It can also transcribe in the Joseph's robe was a robe that had these long sleeves that went all the way down to his ankles. So it was this garment that stood out. Or it was just a long coat with a bunch of stripes on it. Either way, what we do know about this coat was that it was flashy, and the coat was a symbol of privilege and status. And this is what the father gave to his son, Joseph. Now, this created some problems. Jacob created problems by giving this to Joseph. Because if you give your son the long coat with sleeves... Right? They're out working in the fields, but you gave your favorite son a long coat with long sleeves. What was that son not doing in the field? Working. All right? Y'all have some siblings that you ended up doing all the work, they didn't do anything? Yeah, this is hitting a lot closer to home this morning than you think, isn't it? So it's hindering him from doing work. And it could be that Jacob is setting his son apart from, from the rest of the sons. Jacob has no choice, and, and he gives this coat to Joseph because, here, this is something maybe you need to know. The other brothers have blown it. They've not done very well. And here, here's what I mean by that. For instance, the son Reuben, this is the Bible, everybody, by the way. Reuben had sexual relations with one of Jacob's wives, his mom. That's a whole different, I'm not preaching on that. Let's just move on. And then the rest of the brothers blew it in Shechem with their attitudes and their actions. The, the brothers have not done such a good job. So look at verse 4. It says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his other brothers, they hated him. And they could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Here's the principle that favoritism and partiality always stir up strife in a family. Am I right? It will always stir up. As followers of Jesus, we should not be showing favoritism towards anything because God doesn't show favoritism towards us, right? Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, he says that God shows no partiality. We are all his children. So Jacob is in a predicament because he has delight in his son, 
which causes hatred among his other sons. And then we look at this, Joseph's dream. So Joseph gets this dream from God. And this dream, he's going to share this dream, and it's not, it's not going to be accepted as well as he thinks it is. In verse 5, it says this, Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Right? He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. They were binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly, my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it, and they bowed down to my sheaf. And are you really going to reign over us, his brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of this dream and what Joseph has said. See, Joseph has this dream. And in the dream, one day his brothers are going to bow down and worship him. Could you imagine going to your siblings telling them this? That there's coming a day where you're going to bow down and you're going to acknowledge how great I am, right? Now, maybe you have some siblings that feel that way. But could you imagine this dream trying to be interpreted over to the siblings that there's, there's coming a time where you're going to bow down, you're going to worship me. But I want you to notice something. Notice how God gave this dream to Joseph for Joseph. He, he tells him that this is the dream, but Joseph decides that he needs to share the dream with the brothers, which didn't work out. The first dream made the situation between him and his brothers worse because he's telling them, you're going to bow down to me. So that's probably where you should have stopped sharing the dream, right? Oh no, I want to share the second dream that I also had with them. So then he says this, verse 9. You ever had those moments where you probably should stop sharing right there, but you decide, mm, might as well go ahead and just share the rest of this too. But you, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, this is a, should have put his foot in his mouth and stopped talking, but he decided to move forward. In verse 9, he says this, then he had another dream and he told his brothers, look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Um, well, that kind of sounds like the first one. And the first one didn't go over well. How do you think the second one went? It did not go over well at all. Because the dream for Joseph was that his father and his mother and his 11 brothers were going to bow down before him. And did the brothers like this at all? No. This was not going to go well. So in verse 10, he says this. He told his father and his brothers. And he asked his father to, and rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had, he said. Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Here's the point. God gave Joseph a dream for Joseph. Remember that you must be sensitive when you're sharing with other people what God has given you. There's sometimes that God has given you things. He's spoken to you. And sometimes those things need to be kept between you and him. But we like to go and advertise everything. But you, you've got to be sensitive when you're sharing with people what God is doing, what God is telling you. Because we can often come across as being very prideful. Wouldn't you agree with me that when Joseph went to his brothers and said, you guys are going to worship me. Does that sound a little prideful? 
right? So it, it was, that was harsh. And so sometimes when God's leading you to do something, a good practice for you to do is just to share it in small chunks, not, not the big picture. All right, that's a side piece of this. So, so far in the story, what we've seen is, is Joseph, Jacob's delight is his son, right? And then Joseph has this dream. And now this, you're going to see a brother's disdain for what's going on. Because the brothers are not accepting this message. They're, they're not hearing this message uh, or taking it kindly. They're, they're actually angry and they're very upset with him. And the next thing that we're going to see is the brothers are working. And what is Joseph doing? Nothing. Why? He ain't about to get the jacket dirty. You ever get those new, brand new white shoes? You're not going to walk around and get your white shoes dirty. Let everybody else do, do stuff, right? Look what verse 18 says. They saw Joseph in the distance, and before he had reached to them, they had plotted to kill him. Now, you probably have had some fights with your siblings, but I don't know if it's ever come to this point, Right? It says that they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look, here he comes, that dream expert. I like to think that that was more like sarcasm that they read. Oh, the dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill this guy. We'll throw him into one of the pits. And we can say that a vicious animal ate him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, remember Reuben and his mom, just so you know where the, the morality is here. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. Oh, now he wants to do the right thing. And he said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said, then don't, don't shed blood. Let's just throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them and returned him to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, listen to this, because this is a, a key term. They stripped off Joseph's robe. Remember that. The long sleeve robe that he had on and then they took him and they threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and without water. And they sat down to eat a meal. And when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites. Y'all remember Ishmael? These are his people. The same people that said, we're going to annihilate Israel off the face of the earth. Same, guy, same group. The Ishmaelites were coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying um, aromatic gum and balsam and rosin going down to Egypt. There's three things happening right here. Number one, the brothers have rejected his position. They have rejected the position of Joseph. Remember, what position is Joseph in? He's the favorite child, right? They are rejecting his position. If you'll pay attention to that verse, they stripped off Joseph's robe. The word picture here in the original language is actually skinning an animal. It's a vicious process that they're ripping this off, this, this robe off of him the same way that you would skin an animal. So they're clawing and they're ripping this jacket off of him. He was the chosen son, chosen to wear the jacket, but they ripped it off, rejecting his position. They also rejected him as a person. Look how many times the word hate is used describing the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. We, we see it in verse 4. We see it in verse 5. We see it in verse 8. They hated him. Didn't like it. And if his dreams are from God, then they were going to have to bow down and one day worship him. So they wanted to do away with that by throwing him into this pit. 
And they throw him into this pit, and now Joseph is wounded and bleeding. The third thing you'll see here is they also rejected his pleas. His pleas have been rejected. We, we don't know what's happened between verses 24 and 25. But in verse 24, what we know is that Joseph is thrown into a pit without water. And in verse 25, this is weird, but in verse 25, the brothers sit down to eat lunch. How could you do that? How could you throw your brother into a pit for him to die and you just go have lunch? Like there, there was no conscience here. But what you don't hear you don't read in these verses of Joseph crying out for help, pleading. And I would like to think that if I was in the bottom of a pit, that I would be crying out, wouldn't you? You'd be crying out for help. But all I can imagine is the brothers just ridiculing him as they ate, saying, hey, see if your dreams come true now. Come on, big boy, let's see what happens. And they don't. They don't say anything. I imagine this is a turning point in their lives, because I would think that the cries that were coming from that pit will forever haunt them. They will forever hear those words of Joseph crying, pleading, asking for help. Years later, the brothers are going to come into the presence of Joseph, because Joseph, we'll, we'll get to all this in your reading, but Joseph's going to be elevated to where he's going to be in charge of all of Egypt. He's going to go from a pit to Egypt, and they're not going to recognize him. And what I want you to see is that they're going to they're gonna see each other 22 years later. 22 years from the time that Joseph is in this pit, his brothers are going to come face to face with him. Look what they say in verse 21 of chapter uh, 42. Then they said to each other, obviously we are being, what, punished for what we did to our brother. 22 years ago, we saw this deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That is why this trouble has come to us. They were going through a, uh, a, a, they had no food. They, they had nothing. And they're realizing that maybe we're being punished because we did not do what we were supposed to and we got rid of Joseph and lied about it. The theologian F.B. Myers says this, years, year passed after year, but the years could not obliterate from their memories that look, those cries that scene in the green glen of Dothan, surrounded by the tall cliffs, overarched by the blue skies, whose expanse was lit up by the sun. They tried to lock up the skeleton in their most secret cupboard, but it contrived to come forth to confront them, even in their guarded hours. Sometimes they thought they saw that agonized young face in their dreams, and they heard the voice wailing in the night wind, just being haunted by that voice of what they had done. And it starts with this delight that Jacob has, but it, it comes full circle because now Jacob's delight goes to Jacob's distress. Jacob is a distressed man because he thinks that his son is dead. That's what he's been told. They've created this whole storyline, this whole narrative, and he thinks his son is dead. So the brothers decided to put blood on this jacket, on this coat, and then they were going to tell the dad that Joseph was killed by a bunch of wild animals. Look what he says in verse 32 of chapter 37. They sent the long sleeve robe to their father and said, We found this. Examine it. 
Is it your son's robe or not? Now, did they know that this was the son's robe? Come on. His father recognized it. It is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. And Joseph has been torn to pieces. And then Jacob is another key phrase here. Jacob did what? Tore his clothes. He put sackcloth around his waist, and he mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and daughters tried to confront him, but he refused to be confronted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol to my son mourning. And his father wept for him. See, the centerpiece of this story up to this point is not Joseph, and it's not his father, Jacob. The centerpiece of the story is the robe. Because the robe began in this deep love, and then it was torn in deep hate, and now the main tool for this deep deception is the robe. So Jacob says, I'm going to mourn over my son. So for 22 years, he mourns the loss of his son, not knowing that he was not dead. And he's mourning. And if the story, if, if the writer just stops right here, the future would look very bleak for Joseph. Wouldn't you agree? This would be an awful place to end this story. But even in the midst of that pit, Joseph, this is the hard part for us. Even in the midst of that pit, Joseph is exactly where God wants him to be. It's probably the hardest part of this whole passage. And I want you to notice something. Never in the life of Joseph do we see him adopt an attitude of victimization. The way he just becomes a victim. He doesn't complain about the situation. Here's what we understand. that The trials of his formative years would be a stepping stone to greatness. He, he had to have this in order to get to where he was going. Setbacks are always opportunities for growth. Always. Because we grow in tension. We don't grow in being comfortable. We don't become better by being comfortable. We don't grow closer to Jesus in places of comfort. How many times did Jesus put his disciples into very hard situations? Intentionally put them in very difficult situations. Because it's the tension that allows us to grow. For Joseph, there were wounds. For Jacob, there were wounds. For the brothers, there were wounds. And all of us bear wounds from past. We all have our wounds. Some of those wounds are still haunting many of us today. But maybe today you're still nursing those hurts. Maybe you're trying to, to figure out how to, how to carry those. And, and maybe you're feeling burdened. Maybe you're feeling abandoned. Maybe some of you feel like Joseph. You're isolated. You're alone. But Joseph's story for us is an encouragement. It's an encouragement because what he shows us in the final chapters of our lives, which is yet to be written, he teaches us that although life's not fair, God is always faithful. Because I think you would agree with me when I make that statement that life is not always fair. Right? And while it's not always fair, God has always been faithful. Always. In Romans 8, 28, he says that God works all things for the good of those who love the Lord. And what we're going to see in our readings this week is this, is that God will take Joseph from a pit to a palace. Joseph will be raised to prominence in a palace, and the only way to get to the palace is he had to go through the pit. 
There are no accidents in the economy of God. He will use every single step. I love what the theologian said when he says the main character in the drama here is Yahweh. It's God. Though hidden in the form of a dream, silent and not at all visible, the listener will understand that the dream is the unsettling work of Yahweh upon which everything else depends. And without the dream, there would be no Joseph, there'd be no narrative. And from the perspective of the brothers, without the dream, there would be no trouble, there would be no conflict. For the father, without the dream, there would be no grief or loss. The dream sets its own course, and in the end, the family prevails over the tensions of the family. So the question is, what what is the point of the dream? Why the dream? God sends the dream. He gives the dream to Joseph. He is the director of all things. So Joseph leads us to believe that no matter what happened in your past, he's saying you need to trust God. No matter matter what it may look like, we walk by faith, not by sight, right? And sometimes when we try to walk by the situations and we try to you know, this doesn't look good, so I, maybe I don't. We, we walk by what God says. We, we have an a anchor in his word. But oftentimes we'll look at our situations and, and it's not, maybe it doesn't look good right now. Maybe you're in a pit right now, but at the end of the day, God knows exactly where you are. And the same God who has saved you is the same God that will sustain you. He is the same God that will pull you out of the pit. He will get you where you need to be. We have to trust. And I tell you that it doesn't matter what baggage you might have walked into this church with today. You got to trust God with it. You got to trust that He knows more than we do. You know, it was one of the biggest upsets in college football history. November the 28th of 1945, the Boston College Eagles played Holy Cross Crusaders. And and Holy Cross didn't stand a chance against Boston College. The the Eagles had their opponent, held their opponents only 19 points all season. They were ranked number one. Holy Cross, on the other hand, they had a record of four, four, and four. The Eagles were so confident that they would win that they booked this place called the Coconut Grove so that they could celebrate the Sugar Bowl bid that they were going to receive after they beat Holy Cross. By halftime, Holy Cross had thrown for two touchdowns. They were winning 20-6 to at halftime. The second half was not even close. Holy Cross intercepted the ball six times four fumble recoveries, and they would go on to win the game 55-12. to 12. Boston College did not get the bid, by the way, and they finished the season in eighth place. After the game, Holy Cross decided they would go rent a hotel called the Parker House so that they could go celebrate the victory. Their party was interrupted as there were sirens blaring down the street just a few blocks away from the coconut grove because it was on fire. Someone lit a light bulb with a match and it caught on fire. 
The room had a capacity to hold 400 people, but that night they crammed 1,000 people into this room and 500 of them lost their lives. It was considered one of the most tragic, worst fires in American history. The fullback of Boston College in an interview said this, when we lost the game that night, the party at Coconut Grove was called off, which probably saved our lives. Little did they know that they were losing a game to live. Little does Joseph know that God is sending him to a pit to endure persecution, to endure pressure, to endure separation so that he can rise to prominence and save a nation. Little does he know that God would bring a person through this nation that we would call the Messiah, Jesus, who would save the world. There are no accidents in the economy for God, for believers. As the old hymn says, trust and obey, for there is no other way. Where we are this morning in this passage, it doesn't, wherever you are in life, Jesus sees you. And he is in the business of redeeming and restoring and making that which is broken new. And some of you, I know, you have walked through living hills in your life this year. And we're not even a full month, am I right? But I can tell for some of you, when we sit down and talk about these things, we can talk about the struggles that you're walking through. We see the hand of Jesus all over it. We see his sovereignty all in the middle of your story. We never have to walk alone. And it's in these situations that he will grow us, that he will make us better, closer to him. I want to pray for us because I know some of you are going through things. And and if you're not going through anything, it's coming because it's life, right? Life happens. It comes at you quick. And I just want to pray for you. That wherever you are, this is not by accident. God can redeem your situation. God can bring healing to your situation. God can help you grow through that situation. But we have to trust him. Would you pray with me, Father? I pray for every person in this room this morning. While there there are people who, they're struggling today. Their life is just full of storms. God, we know how you operate in the storm. You are known as one that will speak peace and calm those waves and those storms. Lord, that you can take bad situations and make them better and help us grow. I I pray right now for your Holy Spirit in this room to bring healing to the lives that need just a touch from you today. God, that we will trust you with every step, with every situation that we believe in you. We trust you because it's your word that we depend on. And I just pray now, God, that sometimes you will take us through the deepest, darkest valley to grow us. And even when we're in that valley, we are not separated from your presence. And that's that's what matters. 
So Lord, during this time, I just pray for healing. Pray for your spirit to speak. For our hearts to be softened so that we can be obedient to you. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus.